0: So when I was in the hospital bed and my head had just been stitched back together after being sawed open, I saw things so differently. And I realized that I wasn't living in congruence with who I was and what I wanted. I had become this workaholic because of so much of the programming from youth, from kind of some of the shame of like, I'm succeeding and I'm making so much money.
1: The Boss Babe Podcast, a place where we share with you the real behind-the-scenes of building successful businesses, achieving performance, and learning how to balance it all. I'm Natalie Ellis and I am joined by my Boss Babe co-founder, Danielle Kanzi. Oh my goodness. For this episode with Maria, we could have talked to her for like six hours. The amount of stories that she has, buckle up because you are gonna be entertained and inspired, actually. Maria Menounos is an Emmy Award-winning journalist, TV personality, actress, motivational speaker, New York Times bestselling author, former pro wrestler, and entrepreneur. Along with being the former host of E and Extra, a reporter for Nightly News and Today, and hosting numerous ABC, Oscar, Globe, and Emmy pre-shows, Maria has conducted sit-down interviews with every single living president, including the historic and only sit-down interview with the Obama family which by the way we got into the full behind the scenes of in this interview. Maria is one of the most hard-working and inspiring people that I have ever met and she has so many incredible interesting stories in addition to being so established in her career. Maria is actually really clued up when it comes to health because she survived brain tumor surgery. And so she has her own podcast, the Better Together podcast, and she interviews so many leaders in the help and self-help space. So we go all over with this interview and we really get into how Maria went from a small town to being on our TVs and being one of the most recognized TV personalities in the world. So without further ado, let's dive in. Maria, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: We are so excited to have you. And I really want to start this interview with a pretty heavy question. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When was it in your life that you realized what it is you wanted to do? The career path you wanted to go down?
0: Okay. Well, by 13, I know I was declaring that I was moving to LA someday. And I, you know, I used to wear a lot of ponytails and my dad would grab my ponytail and he would shake my head. No. And I'd be like, yes. And he'd be (laughs) like, no. And I'm like, yes. So by 13, I knew I wanted to do something in the entertainment space. I was doing some modeling and finally got my cousin was like my advocate. So he would convince my parents to let me do like things. And so one of the things was a pageant. And so I... Entered the Miss Massachusetts Perfect Teen Pageant and won that. And then I did Miss Teen USA. And anyway, so I would do modeling gigs. I would do that. And I was basically trying to kind of get my foot in the door. And I remember when I had to fill out my SAT forms. That was kind of like a big moment because you had to write what you wanted to do in your life at such a young age. So young. And so that was back in the day when we had encyclopedias, ladies. And I broke out encyclopedias to figure out what the frig I wanted to do. And I really loved morning news. I wanted to be like Joan London, who was the Good Morning America host at the time. And so I looked it up and I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. I love this. I wanted to be a meteorologist. I wanted to be a marine biologist. My mom said, no, you just want to play with the dolphins. So then I abandoned that. And then there were other things growing up, like I wanted to be a vet, but then I was allergic to everything. So certain things just kind of like filed their way out of life. But I was like, broadcast journalism, I think this is the way to go. And at the same time, I had kind of other visions of like wanting to do some acting and other things, but my parents would never let me. So I had like this sneaky plan that when I turned 18, I was going to like flip the tables on them. So I'll do it your way till I'm 18 and then I'm going to go my way and... I figured like broadcast journalism was like the safest way I could get into everything. And it was something that really I had a passion for. So I ended up kind of doing exactly what I said. I got in through broadcast journalism and then everything else kind of came from there. So I would say 13 was like the moment.
1: And how old were you when you eventually moved to LA? I was
0: 21, I think, or 22, 21. Oh, God. What, dates are the worst for me. We can not to remember. Like, I still don't know how many years I've been married, FYI. Like, I have to go back and really... I Google my own That's dates because I don't know. <laughs> Look on your own Wikipedia page. Yeah. Which is very
2: impressive, by the way. We'll yeah, come so <laughs> By the way, I don't
0: lie. If I screw up, it's because I really just can't figure it out. I don't remember. I feel like I met Kevin in 98. Summer of 99, we worked. I think we moved in 2000. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I think it was 2000. So that would mean I was 22. And you've
1: been together since you were 22. Since I was 19. So, so you met him when you were back home? hmm Wow. And so what was the uh, catalyst for you both moving out here?
0: Uh, well, he had already lived in LA. He was head writer at MTV and came back to Boston to make a movie. And my cousin had always told me from a young age, oh, when you want to go out to LA, I got a buddy out there. He works at MTV. And I was like, bullshit. And then of course he wasn't bullshitting. So he called me one day and I was doing um, I was a makeup girl at the Chanel counter at Lord and Taylor in Boston and Copley Place. And so he called me and told me that, you know, my buddy's coming back home to make a movie. You should work on it. And I was like, oh, I'm like, okay. And so, long story short, I quit my job, worked on the movie, and by day three, I knew he was the one. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna make you fall in love with me, and this is over. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you just decided for him that you guys are going to be together. Yeah, yeah. I was like 40 pounds heavier at the time. I was like a chubby little college student that I knew he wasn't going to take seriously. But when I was taking him to the airport day three, and that was when you could sit at the gate, I remember him telling me that he took massage therapy classes to help heal his dad of pain from the cancer he was suffering from. And I was like, you're a caretaker? In my head. I'm I like, go, oh, yeah, d- done deal. He's hot and he's a caretaker. I'm done. And I don't know why at 19 I was so focused on having a caretaker. <laughs> really doesn't make sense other than I must have had like a very strong intuition because I clearly would need it in the years to come. So I want to come back to your
2: relationship um, Mm -hmm. in a few minutes, but before we do, I want to just say, like, obviously coming to Hollywood, loads of people have dreams of making it in Hollywood and going into the entertainment industry. But, you know, for most people, they don't become half as successful as you have become. So when you came, you moved to Hollywood, you were like, right, I want to create an entertainment. What was your, were you very strategic about how you got started here? Was it
0: luck? Like, what do you feel really allowed you to break through? I don't think, I don't think it was luck. I think that, like, I really love the whole hard work meets opportunity kind of thing. I did everything growing up with kind of that goal in mind. And I, I went through every door And I worked super, super hard and was very focused. Like Kevin would laugh at me in college because I was like already like in business. I thought like I, there was no messing around. Like I, I know I had like a little fun my freshman year first semester after that, it was like, I just thought I was already Joan London, like already. That's and I were
2: exactly like that. We were both oh, yeah. so focused yeah. at university. I was like, everyone would be going out in the week, and i would be like, no, absolutely not. Like, I've got to be I've got there. Work like, to do, yeah. yeah. I've got work to do. I'm paying for this tuition. Like, yeah, I need to it's make make it is no worthwhile. coincidence that we're yeah. all
0: here and succeeding because it does take that and also to make it young, right? Like, so I think that um, everybody has a different path. Obviously, our path was in that way but I was really focused. And so what was the question? I lost my train of thought already.
2: I was saying like, what do you feel helped you become oh, successful in
0: Hollywood? How do I do always it. think it's yeah. like
2: luck or hard work or talent. Like yeah. what was it?
0: So, you know, I think a lot of elements have to come together, but it's funny. So I met Kevin and I didn't know how to do make a movie. I was in journalism classes And so I wrote a list on a, like, yellow notepad of everything that I could do, all of my skills. So when I met with him, I could be like, I am good at this. This That's the only way I could approach it in my mind. I was a sophomore in college. And so I sat with him and I said, I don't know how to make a movie, but I do know how to do this. I can get free shit. I can, like, secure, like, things. I can organize. I can, you know, I put together events at my church. Like, I know how to, like, make things happen. And he was like, that's producing. And I was like, okay, cool. So I started off as a PA and then I kept taking on more and taking on more. And so uh, what happened after that was we wrapped the movie and someone who was producing the movie who Kevin had worked with. So Kevin made his dreams come true. Um, he was a, a student of his at in high school. Kevin like, was a, a teacher for a short stint. And he knew this kid had all of this promise and potential, and he was really talented. He's like, I'm going to help you make it someday. And so when Kevin got his job at MTV, he was like, the plane ticket's at the airport. Wow. Come on out. And he said, the only thing I ask is that you pay it forward someday. So long story short, the movie wraps. He's pa at a place called Channel One News. And I never had Channel 1 News in my high school classroom. You guys obviously aren't from here, so you wouldn't know either. But it's a high school-based news program, like a CNN for kids. Wow. And I think it was eight or nine million kids a day watched it in their home room. Wow. And so he was a PA there. And one day he called Kevin and said, hey, they're looking for talent, on-air talent here. I think Maria could be great. So Kevin helped me put together a reel And it was like my first two times ever on the air at the school news. I'm, you know, 40 pounds heavier. I, you know, had just lost all this weight. And so I sent in this tape um, with, you know, a fresh new picture, got an interview, went to New York and ended up getting the job and moving to LA. So that was like my big break. But had I not worked for free on this movie where all of my... Classmates, when I invited them to be a part of the movie, I'm like, guys, this is 35 millimeter film. This is huge. We're getting to work with people from LA. Like, they're like, how much am I going to get paid? Mm. And I was like, no, it's about the opportunity. We're in fucking college. Sorry, can I swear on this? Yeah, you can absolutely (laughs) swear. I'm like, we're in fucking college, guys. Like, this is the moment to like do this. Anyway, no one would work on it, and so I did. And my parents like gave it everything they had. My mom would cook, and you know, they were helping out as well. And so. That led me to this opportunity, and so I got to Channel One, and then I would look at the gates across the street. It was um, we filmed Channel One at Raleigh Studios on Melrose, across the street was Paramount. And just like two, three years before, I was in the Miss Teen USA pageant and I was on stage with Bob Gowen, the host of Entertainment Tonight. And he was like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm like, I want to work with you at ET. (laughs) So I'm looking at the gates across the street and then one day my agent calls me and he's like, Entertainment Tonight wants to have you come in and audition for a new show that they're doing. So I went in and auditioned for this show called ET on MTV. It was going to be a new version of Entertainment Tonight, but for a younger audience. And so they were looking for a young host. And then um, the executive producer ran out of the booth and she was like, okay, kid, you're going to be great on this show, but we want you for the big show too. And so then I got on Entertainment Tonight as well. And so that's where it all kind of blew up.
1: And how old were you then?
0: Bad with the dates. 23 maybe? (laughs) 23. Do
1: you know what there's a few things in your story
2: that I hear a lot and I can also relate to as well It's like one showing up and mm-hmm. seeing things as experience versus there's value in experience versus just dollars yeah you know and recognizing that I think people who know where they want to go really value that and they see being around the right people is actually such an asset and such a thing in your path and I think yep. sometimes a lot of people underestimate that they underestimate the connections that you can build um, so I really want to call that out and then second of all saying out loud where you wanted to go and where you wanted to be because that's what I did I remember literally when I was a chiropractor and I was like oh I want to buy your clinic and they're like okay not now but then I went on to be a partner in that firm and that was my real big first you know chance to be an entrepreneur and grow and so I think there's a lot of similarities And Natalie you've done similar with your career as well and I think just like voicing that is sometimes like the forgotten thing like everyone just thinks oh yeah you just get paid and these things just come about out, but it really is like seizing opportunity and looking for opportunity wherever
0: yeah yeah I think it's funny because I never wanted to be an entertainment news reporter which is so funny that I I said to Bob in that moment but I remember watching it and be like oh that looks so cool and so I, I think I manifested it it manifested it without even like necessarily wanting that I wanted to do sports more than anything I felt like or like the Today Show or Good Morning America and stuff, but I ended up getting to do all of it anyway. But I do think that, you know, there is such a value in proximity, like you said, and there's such a value in endearing yourself to the right people. And so I know that there are people who come into our lives who are like, I don't want anything. And I said, well, I'm just going to give you probably 50 times more than I would have ever given you in a check. And I learned that from Kevin because when I first started working for him, obviously I was working for free, there was another young girl my age and she was getting paid. And then I found out and I was heartbroken because I felt like I was being taken advantage of at that moment. And so I went to him and I said, Hey, like, this is really, you know, hurting my feelings. Like, why is she getting paid? And I'm not, and I'm working double as hard as her and I'm giving you everything I have inside of me. And he said, (laughs) he's like, so he's like, I can write the check too. He goes, if that's what you want, I can write the check. I can give you what I'm giving her. He goes, or you can have everything I have, and I will make you so successful someday. And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean it. Um, I'll shit. take that one. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that one. And, and you know, you're doing it on, you know, who knew he was going to be able to deliver. And he ended up delivering within, like, a year. My entire career was because of him. Right? Um, like, in a sense. Obviously, I don't want to take away from myself, too. Yeah. but. If I hadn't worked on that movie, if his friend hadn't called him, if he hadn't helped me put my reel together, he dressed me for my first interview. He took me to Forever 21 and styled me (laughs) because he had all this experience at MTV with Carmen and Jenny. And he was like, no, you need a pop, you need color. And so, you know, it was really important. And then when I moved to LA, my parents felt safe because I was with him. And so I always say, like, think really carefully about who you want to invest in if it's somebody who's a good person who you can see their character can actually deliver back to you too, sometimes they don't need to in the way that obviously Kevin did, but deliver lessons and knowledge and and proximity and, and other things. Like that's somebody to invest in. So you got this gig. You're like, okay, you're going to be... You're working on this show
2: and showing up every day. What was going through your mind at that point? Were you, did you suffer from imposter syndrome? Were you like, am I worthy? Or were you like, yeah, I own this. I'm ready for this. <laughs> like, I'm so <laughs> curious as to like your mindset at that point. Because personally, I would be terrified. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, I wanted this. Oh no, I don't.
0: <laughs> I think I was so excited to be to to be there. It was funny because I remember they gave like 13 week contracts at the time. And, and Kevin and I were kind of like, Laugh. We're like, oh, we're no, we're we're gonna be more than thirteen weeks. Like this, yeah. Okay, cool. Thirteen weeks, fine. And I remember being scared when I bought my first house because I was like, thirteen ah, week contracts. What if they did? Ah, ah. I remember I just lost all this weight. I kept all my big clothes because I was like, if I have to go back home and I and I don't have money, like I kept all my like clothes that were way too big for me at this point. But I I knew I belonged. I knew I had a lot to learn too. But I wasn't afraid. And I think imposter syndrome probably kicks in later, but I wasn't really aware of it necessarily then, I don't think. Then it was just like, yes, I'm finally doing what I wanted to do. I remember being in Boston, like desperate, listening to sad music at night when everyone's going out. I'm like, I want out of here. I want to go do my thing. And so um, so I was just super excited to... And also like, you know there's all these family dynamics and things that were going on at home, like that just really propelled me and pushed me to get out. And so now I'm in LA where I've always dreamed of being, I'm doing what I want to do. I can wake up every morning and it's about what I want to do and no fighting and arguments and drama and nonsense and toxicity. It's just like, let's go.
1: And when you think back over, especially in those early years, what was the moment where you felt like that was your big break. Like it wasn't going to be ripped away after 13 weeks. It was like, Oh, this is going to be my career now. I'm really good at this.
0: I think probably, you know, the show on MTV went number one pretty fast and then just stuff kept happening. Like I remember, um, I wore this, um, diamond dress to the Oscars. So my stylist at the time went looking for dresses for the Oscars. I was going to host the pre-show for ABC, which was like a big deal. And she called me and she's like, I have this diamond dress. And she's like, Angelina Jolie, they're holding it for her. And if she doesn't wear it, you can have it. I'm like, ew, a whole diamond dress? Like, that's so weird. (laughs) I was like, that just sounds so gaudy and weird. And so then she showed me the dress. I'm like, oh, it's actually kind of beautiful. Oh, it's worth $2.2 million. The whole dress, you guys, was all diamonds, like real diamonds. When you said diamond dress, like my UK
2: head was like, oh, like she obviously does not mean diamonds. I forget I'm in Hollywood. Of course she meant diamonds. Guys. What
0: was I thinking? <laughs> like one diamond.
2: I was the like, epitome of dripping in
0: diamonds. Like wow. no one has ever like, it was insane. And so I put the dress on, it fit like a glove. It was literally mm. made for me. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And the press So now I'm at the Academy Awards and I'm in all the magazines right along like the winners of the Oscars and stuff because it was such a showpiece dress. So that was like another big kind of like, oh.
2: And okay. what year was this? Do I ask? Craig, I <laughs> you know, don't like, know. What?
1: These years,
0: we I'm trying to the
2: timeline. Like, yeah, when yeah. these like pieces started like coming together for you, because I, I feel like that's when I was like looking at your career, because you do have a really impressive
0: Wikipedia page. Thank you. <laughs> With very <laughs> we spend surprising a lot of time on
2: things on that. Yeah, I was like, what. First of all, I was like such a big fan of like Ron Tree Hill and stuff growing up when I saw oh, your name yeah. on those things. I was like, what? And I was like, and, like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I was, you don't like, remember Jules? 16er. Hello. <laughs> yeah. And then the one that really threw me and I'm completely sidetracking us right now was the uh, wrestling. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but there's nothing about you that kind of makes me think <laughs> no, like, you were a wrestler or into wrestler, wrestling. Oh my God. So Die please tell.
0: Okay, so I grew up watching wrestling. I was very much like a tomboy I really I grew up with a lot of like males like my cousins mostly were guys and we would like fake wrestle and play hockey and like we're all the sports and stuff and so my dad and I used to watch wrestling growing up And my mom hated it. She's like, why you watch this stupid stuff? And I'm like, it's awesome. Macho Man, Randy Savage, and like, you know, everybody. I just loved wrestling, and I loved watching it with my dad. And so then there was a moment before I got my job at Channel One Kevin was very good friends with Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon is the son of Vince McMahon, who owns the WWE.
2: I'm glad you explained that. No <laughs> thank you. I'm
0: not expecting any boss babe to <laughs> think they know anything about wrestling. So here we are. I'm explaining. <laughs> um, so he was like, I'm going to talk to the WWE about going to write for them. And he's like, maybe you, you should wrestle because he knew. Let's take a
1: minute to talk about one of my favorite educational platforms, Masterclass. Every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk, and right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash bossbabe. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash bossbabe, masterclass.com slash bossbabe.
3: Right now, Prolon is offering Boss Babe podcast listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to ProlonLife.com slash Boss Babe. That's P-R-O-L-O-N Life.com slash Boss Babe for this special offer. ProlonLife.com slash Boss Babe.
0: We all loved wrestling. Kevin loves wrestling. Our mutual friends loved wrestling. I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And so Kevin went and met with them. And then it was like right after that I ended up getting my job at Channel One. So my life detoured from wrestler to to TV host very fast. But I loved it. And there was a moment years ago, whatever that year was, where they started doing this thing on Monday Night Raw, their like premiere show, where they brought in guest hosts. So I remember having lunch with my publicist. And I said, you need to call them. I need to be a guest (laughs) host. And he's like, okay. Okay. He never did it, but he called me soon after. And so I think we talk about like in the universe. It's happening again. I said it. And very soon after, he calls me. He's like, you're not going to believe this. He goes, I haven't even called them, but they called us. They want you to guest host Monday Night Raw. I was like, awesome. Tell them on one condition. And he goes, what? I go, I want to wrestle.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh,
0: my days. Yeah. Oh, my days. So we were not expecting that. Oh, no, no. And they didn't take me seriously. So it was like, hey, I need a coach. I need a coach. They were like, they're such a machine. They're so busy. They're not worrying about little Maria wanting to wrestle. So I found a coach in the valley. His name was Rick Drazen. He just recently passed, God rest his soul. And he had an outdoor backyard ring in the valley. And so I went there and started training with him and learning all the moves and how to perform them. And when I showed up, for that event, I was like, "All right, guys, I know how to wrestle." And they're like, "What?" And I go, "No, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna wrestle tonight." <laughs> and so they're like, "Okay." So they put me in the ring with one of their coaches, showed him what I could do. He teaches me a new move in the moment called the sunset flip, where I have to like get on your shoulders, crawl through your legs, and roll you over <laughs> and flip you. And so I learn it on the spot. We create a whole storyline that night, like instantly, and then it happened, and I did it. And wow. It's the scariest thing in the world, which is why it's so awesome because you're going out to a crowd of like 15,000 people and you now have to perform something that you are not really like, you know, I'm just learning and energy so insane. So what I did was, because I got addicted to it, I kept the storyline going because as a wrestling fan, I know what they want to see. So I kept fighting with Twi- on Twitter with the girls and egging oh. them on. And then we did, so we did four matches total and four and It led to WrestleMania, which was insane. It was the Rocks return to the WWE, which was huge. We're in Dolphin Stadium in Miami, 70 plus thousand fans. And here I am coming out to a real match, not just a celebrity that comes in to like do a slap or whatever. Like it was the real deal, like a full on match. And I'm doing Dancing with the Stars at the time. So we have to fly into Miami, land, rehearse dancing. I have seven stress fractures in my feet, two busted ribs, ripped intercostal muscles because I you know, of injuries on in dancing. And so now I'm kind of like scared obviously because I'm very injured and I'm yeah. about to wrestle in this massive match but Kevin and this isn't
2: even really your career. <laughs> no, no. This is just an extracurricular. Like, this is yeah. an
0: extracurricular activity. <laughs> yeah. And I did try to like back out I go Kevin I can't do this. I'm going to like I'm going to I'm going to really hurt myself. I'm puncture a lung. and he goes you will regret this for the rest of your life. You have to do it. So I went and we I love Kevin. Yeah. Well, I was like, Kevin's you're supposed chill, to you know? love me. And I'm like, you're supposed to care about me. He's like, no, go. <laughs> anyway, the impaled lung is worth it. So, we got health insurance. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did it. And, you know, the girls are so good at what they do. And it's like butter. Like, it's just so, so unbelievable when you work with people who are amazing at what they do. And it was super emotional and very scary all at once because you learn it so fast and you have to just know it. Like, because they're pros, Mm. you just got to like get it. And so it was amazing.
2: Okay, guys, I'm just going to briefly end up this episode to tell you about our amazing partners. So our first partner for this episode is Audible. Now, you guys know... Natalie is the reader. I love reading books, but she is a speed reading freak. I'm telling you, she reads so quickly, it's insane. And I've always struggled to keep up with the amount of books that she gets through. That was until I started listening to Audible, where I can download my favorite business books and listen to them on the go. I've been listening to them whilst I've been running. I've been listening to them whilst I'm in the car, and as I plan my flights home to the UK, I haven't actually been there for the last two years. I have already planned the books that I'm going to listen to on that international flight. Because let's face it, there's only so many ways you can, you know, spend the next 10 hours. And rather than watching some trash on there, I am going to put my mind to work and listen to some amazing books. So I just wanted to let you know, if you're like me, if you struggle, find the time to sit down and physically read. Audible is an amazing alternative. And the best part is right now, for a limited time, you can save 46% on your first four months of Audible. That's only seven ninety five dollars a month. So give yourself the gift of listening. And for more, all you need to do is visit audible.com slash boss babe or text boss babe to 500 500. That's audible.com Slash Boss Babe or text Boss Babe to 500 500 to claim our exclusive offer of 46% off for your first four months. And our next partner is LinkedIn. Now, you guys know as we're heading into Q4, things get super, super busy. And I am just so thankful right now. That I have the best team around me, and it feels so good to be able to delegate tasks and feel supported, especially when it feels like the business is moving so fast. But I just want to emphasize the only way I've been able to build an exceptional team is because I found the best tools to support me when I go to making that new hire because I use LinkedIn jobs and they are my favorite. They really are. I've tried so many different recruiting tools, and LinkedIn jobs has Stood the test of time for me because all you have to do is log into the platform you just create a free job post in minutes and before you know it you'll be hearing from qualified candidates who are a great fit to the role honestly it's that easy so if you're running a business and you need to make a new hire you've tried all the other platforms and got nowhere we found so many of our team on LinkedIn jobs and LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates that you actually want to talk to and faster because did you know that every single week nearly 40 million 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn so post your job for free at linkedin.com slash boss babe that's linkedin.com slash boss babe to post your job for free terms and conditions do apply but definitely check that out and with that let's get back to the episode Can I ask you a question? Well, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know why I asked permission then. Um, (laughs) But I am so intrigued of what most, like, what do you like about these high-pressure situations? Mm. Because... You're, like, you're describing it as scary. You're describing it as, you know, at this point, there's a health risk. Yeah. It's not your main career. It's an <laughs> extracurricular activity. You're already on Dancing with the Stars. You then decide to wrestle. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just sat with this interview with my jaw down, really. What, why?
1: From two people who don't have
3: that. We're like, <laughs> yeah,
0: but I like well, the scared. I'm like, do you like being scared? Yeah. Oh, so I think that for me, living happens in that moment where you're like shitting your pants and you're like, am I gonna, am I gonna make? Oh, okay. Whoa, that was cool. And it's like, that's where life happens. If you're not having those moments, I don't know if you're really living. Like to me, right? Like that moment of like facing your fear. And then coming out the other side doesn't mean you have to win, doesn't mean you have to be great, but you got through it and you did it and you push yourself and you, that to me is so exciting. And I think, you know, my dad's a little kooky, so I'm a little kooky (laughs) and I just love living and I love experiencing and I love trying. And again, it doesn't always have to work out. doesn't mean I always am going to be the best, but I really love pushing myself.
2: What do you, do you think it was your dad's influence that because I feel like some people are going to listen to that and they're like, that is not me at all. Living is when, like, I'm constantly in peace. Like, you know, I I feel my adrenals (laughs) aren't under fire. But, like, I'm just curious what in your childhood do you think influenced you? Because I actually think this is kind of part of your career. You Mm -hmm. were on live TV. And we'll come to some of the huge moments that you've had in your career, which most people would buckle under the pressure of, yet you thrive. So what do you think in your childhood set you up to, one, be like this or set you up to be able to cope like this?
0: Well, I did grow up with a fair share of terror, so I think I can cope with anything. But also, like, my parents were very can do kind of people. And so I, the way I describe my parents is if I came home one day and I was like, Mom, Dad, I have an interview with Lady Gaga on the moon and we need to build a spaceship so that I can get there. <laughs> okay, Maria, are we gonna do? That's their line. <laughs> okay, Maria, are we gonna do? And they would go build the spaceship and somehow yeah. it would friggin' work. Like that's that's who my parents are. We're just, I think like when you come from nothing. there's only one way to go. Like, so when we were growing up, we were cleaning nightclubs all over Boston. And when you talk about where it all started, that was another part where it all started. Cause I was cleaning up. I was literally waiting as a little kid through trash. Right. And then sleeping in boxes when I wanted to take a nap. So the rats wouldn't get to me. And so cleaning these nightclubs and all the beer and the booze and the vomit and all the it was disgusting. But there was a stage and I used to go on the stage and just dream and there's only one way to look and that's up. And so for me, anytime I got to try something that, um, you know, that was kind of a dream that you'd never think you could do. I was like, I'm in whatever it is. Like a couple years ago, I, I got into, um, a race car with Mario Andretti for something I was doing some show And afterwards I was like, seriously considering becoming a race car driver (laughs) just because I wanted to do something again, like crazy that I was like, I like overcoming. I like, I like getting there. I like figuring it out and pushing myself. So I think it's a combination of my parents kind of like can do kind of thing. And then also like fear is something I'm, I'm probably comfortable with. And if I think about like, even just the last five years of my life, I thrive in those moments when I have to overcome.
2: And something I'll just reflect back on you and feel free to reject it, but I think it's like from the conversation, I feel like you're grateful for opportunity. Mm. Like you're like, okay, an opportunity here. How can I thrive in this? Versus being like, oh, do I want this opportunity? It sounds like you're like anything that's new, that's interesting, that's like yeah. an experience. You're like, hell yeah, I'll see, I'll do it and yep. see what happens from that.
0: Yeah, because guys, life is so friggin' short why would we like not try everything? Right? Like there's a side of me that wants to like blow up my whole life, sell everything and like just start moving to different places and doing different things just because Like, why do the same thing all the time? Like life is so precious and there's so many things you can do. So to me, I always wanted to do as many things as I could. Like I joke now, there's actually um, footage I found recently of me on David Letterman, and he was like you know can we please talk about this bio he's like is it like a, like a laundry list what is this thing it's like you do everything i'm like well i haven't been an EMT yet i haven't been a firefighter like i just <laughs> i want to do everything I know that sounds crazy probably, but no, I just love I living. Didn't.
2: I don't think it does. Particularly with your description of what living is to you as well. And you sound like you thrive when you have adrenaline going through you. But I wonder if there's been points in your life when you've been like, do you know what? This is too much. This is too much adrenaline. Like, this is not fun. Like, I don't want to be here. Like, have there been moments in your career where you felt like this is too much?
0: I mean, listen, I've definitely lived a different life these last five years that have been more zen and more peaceful. And I'm definitely, as I'm getting older, being more scared of stuff. I would have gone after the Divas title, which is now not called the Divas title in the WWE anymore. If I didn't have a brain tumor, now they won't let me, but I would have like (laughs) fought to get that. Cause that would have been like, okay, I won the women's championship, like done, have to get that under my belt. But what did I do recently? That was, um, kind of cool too. Where I was like, oh, I have to knock this off my list, my bucket list. I can't remember, but it'll come. Yeah, it's kind of like living your bucket list in a sense, but like creating the craziest bucket list ever. And I don't know if I'm a, technically an adrenaline junkie, because I think that I would be jumping out of p- buildings and planes, and that's not for me. Mm. I mean, I might jump out of a plane someday. You might have to push me, and that I would love it. <laughs> but I think like, the difference with me and my life and the the reason I feel like I've achieved is because I've pushed past the fear, right? Like people say that you're not really like brave. Isn't the description that people think it's like you are sh- terrified and you do it anyway. And so I think that all of the things I've been able to achieve and accomplish and experience is because I will put the fear aside. And I know that the, everything I want, like, I think it was George Adair said, like everything you want is on the other side of fear. And so for people listening here, you know, you, you're focusing on wanting to be an entrepreneur and build your business and all of that. So you have to like set those fears aside. Like, am I going to fail? Am I imposter? Whatever. I'm having to do that now for myself as I'm building kind of my new part two in life. And I'm terrified and I keep thinking I can't do it and I'm going to be a total failure. But then I keep going anyway. So hopefully my formula will continue to work for me. (laughs) (laughs) If it doesn't, I'm going back to wrestling.
1: (laughs) So speaking of your part one, I'm really curious. So certain things, experiences that you had, like being the first person to interview the Obamas as a family, Mm -hmm. those moments must be so terrifying. Mm -hmm. How do you prepare for something like that? Like the idea of that is terrifying.
0: Yeah. So I had done, so when I was at the Today Show and Access Hollywood, I saw that there were these fires in Greece and I called them. I said, listen, I'm Greek. I can speak it. Get me out there. Let's go cover this. It was like a huge, huge story. Went out there and that's when Nightly News called and they said, kid, we saw your story on the Today Show. Some amazing producer named ML Flynn. She's like, we want to put you on Nightly. And <clears throat> I was like, whoa wow holy shit this is unbelievable nightly news is like the pinnacle of news and so they put me on we did the story and a couple weeks later I was in New York I said I want to go meet that nice lady I talked to so I went to go say hi and thank you and she's like wait let me take you into the executive producer's office she should know you and I was like okay she's like we need to do more with you I I had no idea this was gonna happen I just went in there and when the executive producer, Alex Wallace at the time said, what would you do if you could here?" And I said, well, I'm like, that's kind of quick. Uh, let me think. I'm like, well, we're, we're entering an election year. I'd love to get to know the candidates through their kids. All of their kids are somewhere around my age. Like they're, you know, youngish, whatever, for your demo. And she's like, good, go do it. And I was like, what? What? And I was like, Okay. I was like, holy shit, holy shit. So I started reaching out to different kids like Meghan McCain, Sarah Huckabee, and all of them, and they said yes. And I was like, whoa, okay, got it, got it. And then I reached out to the Obamas, and they're like, you know, the kids are too young. We're not going to do interviews, but keep us posted on what you get. So I was like, ooh, open door. <laughs> so I kept sending them the footage, and in a sense, I wanted to let them know that it was harmless. I'm not someone who's out to get anybody. I just want to get to know them. And so I kept sending them the profiles, and I think they understood kind of where I was going with it. And then one day I got a call from my boss at Access Hollywood, and he said, "Hey, we have an interview with you know Senator Obama and you know Michelle, and it's in Butte, Montana, on the Fourth of July." And apparently nobody wanted to go to Butte, Montana on the Fourth of July. (laughs) (laughs) Then me, I was like, "Oh God, I got to get on three planes." Kevin goes, "Maria," and I go, "Okay, fine, 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 fine. We're going, Mm -hmm. we're going." Go, we, we love <laughs> Kevin. Fucking <laughs> Kevin. I swear to God. So we um Was he taking management fees at this point or something? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's a well-paid employee of a mega girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so we went and I remember feeling something was coming. It was really just supposed to be them. And the girls were there, and I was showing them pictures of my dogs because they wanted to rescue a dog or get a dog, whatever. And then they wanted to go tour the mining museum that was there. And Kevin had just gone through it like the nerd that he is. And I said, oh, Kevin will take them. So Kevin takes them on Casually. This, this tour of the mining museum with the, the nanny or whatever. And comes back and they're hanging on him. They're like, Uncle Kevin, we want to do it again. And then they like loved him because he's so good with kids. And like he's got that teacher vibe. And then all of a sudden... It kind of started coming together, but I had an inkling. So I was prepared for an interview with the two adults. And then I went into the room when they left for the tour and I looked at my producer. I said, We need to be ready for a family interview because I feel something's coming. Oh
1: my God, I have chills.
0: And so I started shifting. I'm, I'm getting the chills too. I started shifting the energy around what I would want to talk to them about. And boom, they come back, mics go on. And now I'm in the middle of the friggin' craziest, biggest interview in the world. And I'm like getting the chills, chills again right now. my arms. Oh my goodness. And so, yeah, I'm terrified, anxiety, excited. Like all of those emotions are running through my body. And it was such a beautiful moment because the girls were so cute. They're like, you don't know everything, dad. Like, it was just like, <laughs> you got to see them in a different light. And at that moment, they were still calling them elitists. And now you get to see them as a family and who Mm -hmm. they really were at their core. When I got to the airport, I was bawling. I just, I, there was, it was so emotional. I'm like, Kevin, something big's coming. I can feel it. Obviously he then went on to win and it was the only family interview that they ever granted. And so I got, I (laughs) I got a lot of heat in the mainstream media. They all hated me for getting the interview. They were all jelly jelly donuts because you were the only one that was willing to take the opportunity
2: yeah opportunity and i think this has come up in your career a lot from conversation what well, interviews that i've seen and conversations that we've had is your ability to make the person you're interviewing in this case a family mm-hmm. like would that interview have even existed if that kids hadn't got on with you so well they yeah. probably knew they were gonna have to do a family interview at some point and what better way to do it in a way that was like unreal preps like it was like yeah. relaxed and everyone was like you say the kids were in, like interjecting into it and yeah. I think I'm that's what set you. you apart as like an interviewer it's like you always find a way to connect whether it's talking about your dogs or but something else in your life that you're like hey I'm relatable we're relatable we're all on the same level at this yeah. point which then makes everyone feel way more comfortable
0: yeah it's letting them know you're not out to get them yeah right like to me I'm like I'm not here to talk about foreign policy that's not my role here my role is to get to know you. And I always have thought like help people shine, like Mm -hmm. get to see that. And so, yeah, I think there was like an element of trust that had been built and it just kind of, you know, all came together in the right moment. But again, it's, it's doing the things no one else wants to do. It's it's going for it, and
2: so let's talk about the second part, really, if mm-hmm. you're correct, because you are rebuilding right now. So you left E News in 2017, right? Thank you for the date. You, oh yeah, lost. I do know that because I, that <laughs> was brain surgery. Can't exactly. forget the year of brain surgery. I mean, that's
0: pretty. <laughs>
2: let's talk about, about that, wedding that one, year, You know, from a that. woman who has been pretty fearless. Mm-hmm. I can imagine there was a lot of fear hearing that news.
0: No. Okay. Mm, bye, Sorry. <laughs> no, not initially. So there was fears at different points and in different kind of ways. I don't know. I filmed every second of it, so I can you tell did? you I can look back at the footage in, instantly when they told me my doctor called he goes, "I don't know how to tell you this." And I go, "I know what you're going to say." And he goes, "What?" I go, "I have a brain tumor, right?" And he goes, "Yeah." And I go, "Okay, what is it?" And he's like, "Well, we think it's a meningiomy. we won't know until you know you see a neurologist and blah blah blah." And so I instantly was just kind of like, what the fuck? My mom had just been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Hers was stage four brain cancer just a couple months before. So if I hadn't had that, it would have been very different, I'm sure. I'm sure there would have been like a whole terror that would have run through my body. But I already had been dealing with the worst. And they were pretty sure or they were hoping they were sure that it was benign. And so you can kind of tell like by the forming of it on an MRI. And so I was just like, oh, my God, what are the odds? This is insane. And I was more worried about not being able to work and what that was going to mean for my family and my mom and everything like that. So my head went into how am I going to be able to provide and how am I going to be able to, to do things? And I was so burnt out and I was so tired and I was so over so much, you know, because... As exciting and as glamorous and as fun as it can be or it can appear, it also is always, you know, there's polarity in everything. So I was dealing with a lot of toxicity and a lot of pain and a lot of uh, just a lot of just the things that you hear about and a lot of things that w- were brought to surface but in a different way. So, you know, there was a lot of, like, kind of mental violence in a sense and and just toxicity. And so I was cooked. And I was like, okay, cool. Is this my get out of jail free card? Am I done? Because I would never stop the match, right? It's like the wrestler who will keep going or the fighter who will keep going till he dies. I wasn't going to stop the match. So God stopped the match for me. So everything shifted. And then when the doctor gave me the two dates available, I was busy on one and the other was my birthday. So I was like, oh, well, this is a sign. This is a rebirth. So if I make it through, then... I'm going to live a very different life. And I kind of just took the signs as they came. And I, when you said, were things intentional, were you plotting and planning anything? Absolutely nothing. I just always prayed at night and said, God, take me where I got to go. I'll be a good person. I'll work hard. Just show me the way. And I'm just going to go. So I just felt like someone was guiding me through things. Okay, we're going to wrestle. Okay, we're going to act. Okay, we're going to host. We're going to do radio. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Just fucking go live experience. And it was like the same thing now. It was like, okay, just, I hear you. (laughs) I got to slow it down. I got to change. I got to make some transformation happen. And so that's what I've done.
1: Wow. And how has that kind of impacted your life since the operation you talk about, kind of like a part two to your career, to your life, what has changed for you and what does part two look like?
0: I'm still figuring out what part two looks like. I think what's changed the most is kind of my perspective on life and how precious it is. And so I feel like we really prioritize our careers. Like from a young age, we're taught we need to be something. We're supposed to make something of ourselves. And our priorities go right into that, right? You go to college, you got to succeed, you got to get great grades and you got to get a great job and you got to do all this stuff. But no one ever tells us that we have to prioritize our health and that without our health, all of those things are challenging now. And so when I was in the hospital bed and my head had just been stitched back together after being sawed open, I saw things so differently. Mm. And I realized that I wasn't living in congruence with who I was and what I wanted. I had become this workaholic because of so much of the programming from, from youth, from kind of some of the shame of like... I'm succeeding and I'm making so much money. And my parents worked so hard to make a fraction of that. You know, my dad would be like, Maria, you know how hard we had to work to make what you make in a day. We work years. And I at first I would kind of chuckle and I'd be so proud of myself, but then I'd feel guilty like I didn't deserve it, like I wasn't worth it, and that somehow I was just lucky. And I totally devalued myself in so many ways, which then played out in the workplace. Because then if you're devaluing yourself, you're going to be devalued. And so there was just a lot that had to kind of, you know, had to change. So my focus is on health. I really have become a health advocate to remind people that we treat our cars much better than we treat our bodies, that when you're in that hospital bed, you're going to regret Mm. prioritizing only your career. Our careers are great in so many ways. Obviously, they give us freedom. They give us... Um, fulfillment and whatever, but you need to focus on your health just as much. Your mental health, your spiritual health, your physical health, and your uh, emotional health. And all of that is generally abandoned because to make it, you're taught that you have to do so much and you have to sacrifice so much. And yes, you still have to, but you can figure out how to get your annual physical and your annual like pap smear and to follow your body and listen to the signs and the things it's making, create a little pain journal. So if something's making noises, like you're you know, some you're hearing rattling under your car, mm-hmm. okay, I'm gonna tell the mechanic. We don't remember to even tell our doctors when we see them what's happening.
2: I'm so glad you're calling that out because I do feel like we've been in this era prior, which is like hustle, hustle, hustle. And I was listening to like a motivational thing on Spotify from 2017. And the guy in it was literally like, you know what? Sometimes if you don't need to sleep if, to get where you want to go, sometimes you can't sleep for three days. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> no, that no, that is out. not the message that I think people need to hear not to create success. Like Mm-mm. that is like just, I always say you can only be as successful as you are physically and mentally capable of being.
1: Ooh, I and, love that. Thank you. That's and, Danielle's that's chiropractor
2: mine. roots coming out. I literally always I say that because that. I'm like, you are, like you are who makes you successful. So unless, you are prioritizing your mental and physical health, Mm -hmm. you're not gonna be able to show up the right energy, you're not gonna be able to think clearly, you're not Mm -hmm. gonna be able to bring and be your best self. So that has to take priority. And I think there's no shame and I think that that's the message a lot of people need to hear. There's no shame in saying, I can't do that. I Mm -hmm. need this eight hours sleep or I need to I need this break because I need to eat. Yeah. I need to do push this back thirty minutes because I need to get my workout in. Mm -hmm. I think when we start normalizing that behavior, Mm Then it just opens more space for all of us to elevate in a way that's like with the foundation of good health. And then everything on top is extra. Perfectly
0: said. Because what happens is we burn ourselves out and run ourselves into the ground. And if it isn't just total burnout, there's an illness, there's something. And now you have to tackle that while you're tackling this. And I'm telling you, that moment in the hospital bed, I literally was like, wait, I've had these different people as goalposts in my head where I was like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Oh, well, they can work 100 hours a week, pfft, I can do it. And I can, until I can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so- Same for that. Yeah. Same for that. And also, you, know? you don't know what people are doing behind the scenes to be able to do that either. Yeah. yeah and then you start that. to realize, you're like, oh, I barely have a coffee a day. They're doing all these things. Holy shit, I'm out of my mind. I don't want that. That was not, but you can easily get into these cycles when you're not grounded- right? And you can easily lose yourself. And I kind of lost myself in all of that. So now I have different priorities. And so I'm trying to, you know, keep that in mind and then keep sharing it with people because we do have to normalize what can I do, right? Like, what is it inside of me that I really, really want? Because once you get all the materials, because it's like, you know, Like anybody, you have these things you want. You want like certain material things and that will show you that you succeeded, that you made it. But once you get them and then you're still unhappy, you're going to realize, oh, it wasn't about that all along. Mm. Shit. And now you might have like gotten yourself sick for nothing. So having a like a peaceful life where you can be successful, like do what you love and do what fills you and make a living and have your freedom, go for it. But don't kill yourself for it because it's not worth it.
2: Yeah, totally. So I have like one last question. Mm -hmm. Natalie and I were obsessed with morning routines, Mm -hmm. right? I'm curious, what does your morning routine look like to keep you now
0: in good health Mm -hmm. and
2: helping you tackle the day the best way you can?
0: Okay. Honestly, it shifts a lot because it's hard to keep any routine. I get bored kind of easily too. So normally what I've been doing lately that I love is I have figured out a rhythm where I take the dogs out, potty them, feed them, and then I get back into bed and I do yoga nidra for 20 minutes. Have you guys ever done yoga nidra? Once or twice. (gasps) It's everything. Yeah. So I was living it in a strict way where they're like, they make you lay on the floor and they say that's the best way. But then I found one where they're like, you can do it in bed. I'm like, done, I'm in. Mm-hmm. So once I could do it in bed, it was actually much more feasible because I'd go home and I'd be in bed. I'd go to my bedroom and I don't want to be on the floor. I want to be in my bed. <laughs> so it's the the thing that like literally is like medicine for my whole body. If anything's stressed or anything's tight, it just just calms everything in the most magical way I've ever experienced. So that is a morning thing. There are periods where I don't use my phone until I eat breakfast, where I'm really good and I won't look at it. And those are my best days. And there are periods when I slip and I'm checking Twitter and then Facebook. And uh, no, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok now. Those three. <laughs> I'm like, I hate myself when I do that sometimes. I'm like, this is so not the right thing to do. But this just is what it is. It's what I do. None of us perfect. Right? Yeah. We're not perfect. I have my nightly routine where I do my gratitude list and my prayers every night. And that helps me keep remembering all the good things that happened and to be continuously in that state of gratitude. But yeah, my morning routine. Then I go downstairs and I make my coffee and I sniff my coffee grinds. And I love it. It's like, <laughs> like my high in the morning. I love sniffing my coffee grinds. Am I crazy?
1: No, oh absolutely. God. Not. I was going to say, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I, no one knows this about me, but I have a thing about sniffing you tea, do? Bags.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: tea bags. Tea mm-hmm. bags? Tea bags. Wow, you guys. <laughs>
0: Guys, just i just not relating to this. But, okay. Okay. Oh my God. so when I was I on the it. East coast at my house, we have one of those like little Nespresso makers. We put a pot in. Yeah. And I was so giddy to go home just to sniff my coffee grinds yeah. like a crazy person. There's worse things to sniff, so like well, you yeah, I don't think true. you're crazy. That's <laughs> true. So yeah. I am on your level. I make my coffee. I make my breakfast. I like, you know, sometimes I'll sit in the front yard and just take in nature, and then I'll like, you know, say it's gonna be a great day. And like I hug the sun and then I go off and I do my thing. And what's your breakfast? It changes. Sometimes I'll do like Dave's bread with some almond butter. I'll do some like eggs, like hard boiled eggs with some like vinaigrette dressing on it. Yeah, I kind of switch around. I love it. Chia pudding.
2: For those that are listening, you actually have a book on this. So we can make sure we put links on. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I don't even know if they're even like sold anymore. I don't even know. But
1: yeah. (laughs) And uh where can everyone find you and find your podcast as well.
0: You can find my podcast on Apple Podcasts. It's called Better Together with Maria Menounos. Uh, there are a lot of Better Togethers. Mine's with Maria Menunos. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the best one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you can get it on Apple, Spotify, and then we're also visually on YouTube because we do video too. So you can watch it if you don't like to listen. But if you like to listen, you can listen. And then mariamenunos.com, which if you, I don't know when this is airing, is being updated to this like really cool site, hopefully soon. Amazing. And also
2: people should definitely check out our website because I basically have bought everything that's in Maria's life. <laughs> uh, my shop my favorites. Shop her favorites, you guys. It's the most fun I've had in ages.
0: Oh my god. And I like a
2: little mini Maria.
0: Well, you know, I live my truth. Like I do not Ever try to sell anybody anything that I don't die for and know is going to be worth? I I can vouch for that. All in your house, they literally she has them all.
2: That's why I shot them all. That's why my my house. She was like, "Oh, I have a link for this." I was like, "Okay, I'm just going to buy everything you own." Oh my god,
0: I'm going to do that. The new site will be better, but (laughs) um, but yeah, I think uh, I'm really passionate about being honest with people. I feel like everyone's marketed to so much in magazines. It's like you know, well, we know, I know that editors get free shit. And then they write about it so they can keep getting free shit. And they're just selling things to you that you necessarily aren't like the best for you. So for me, with my first book, The Every Girl's Guide to Life, you could tell it was stuff I was using. Things were dirty and people commented on that. Mm. I was like, oh gosh, is this not going to look pretty enough for people? But actually people took it the other way, which is, oh, she's giving us true advice. And never take a penny from anybody to give those products placement in my book. It was just what I'm really using. So yeah, I'm very passionate about giving people only the truest advice.
2: Well, listen, thank you so much. And just Thanks. showing up with so much honesty today. It Thanks. was so fun to have you on the podcast. And like I said, the research for this interview was just hilarious. I was oh like, my God.
1: look at this so Wikipedia good. page. We I'm were dead. on Zoom together like, oh, look at this, Why this one
0: down. Yeah, I love you guys. Okay, wait, I got to ask you guys one quick question. Okay. So is there something that you've wanted to try that you're terrified of that maybe you'll reconsider now?
1: No. <gasps> Come on. So it doesn't light me up. So, like, that the fear doesn't like getting to the other side of something doesn't give me a good feeling. Interesting. So like my husband does. So he tries to make me do these things like, will you jump off this boat with me? Will you do this Spartan race? And I do them. And then it's like, doesn't it feel good? And I'm like, no, I just did it
0: for you. I don't feel any better. What if it's not like extreme like that, though? What if it's like taking a dance class? Like you've always been intimidated to take a dance class or something like that.
3: Mm.
1: No, because like, if I want to do something, I'll do it. Okay. I don't necessarily, I wouldn't get put off okay. by doing something.
2: I feel like from this interview, I've gone off the deep end because I'm like, before I was like, oh, I would really like love to do some like live TV at some point, but I'd be absolutely terrified and always avoid like live interviews, even though they are live. They put them on live afterwards. Yeah. So the whole thing just so makes sense. Doing but now doing I'm that? like, Oh, like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll be on the news before you know it. There you <laughs> Let's go. Get you on it. I can be the next yes. Ellen. Should get in for that? Done.
0: I <laughs> love it. <laughs> you got to dream big. Yes. Yeah. You have to. You just got to do it. Nike said it a long time ago. Just do it. Yeah. Everybody who goes out and does these things, nobody usually knows what the heck they're doing. They just find their way. So once you yeah. know that everyone's going to have that moment of uncertainty, you just go. That's it. I'm with that.
2: That was a great soundbite to end on. Thank you, love. (laughs) You're welcome.
0: Thank you, guys.
2: If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you subscribed and left us a review. Let us know what you enjoyed, what your main takeaways were, and who you'd like to see appear on the show. As a special thanks, we'll send you a copy of our Boss Babe 25 now this is an awesome resource it's the 25 essential things that you need for personal and professional growth we've included everything from must-have products to books to rituals this guide literally covers it all and I know you're going to love it so if you want your copy simply leave us a review and then send a screenshot of your review to podcast at bossbabe.com